You're listening to InfoTrack. To learn more about our guests or listen to past shows, visit InfoTrack online at InfoTrackRadio.com. Once again, here's Chris Whitting. They call it the digital divide. As many as 40 million Americans or more, particularly in rural areas, lack high-quality internets and other digital services. Joining us to discuss this is Christopher Alley, a University of Virginia professor who studies the digital divide. Professor, in terms of broadband access, how does the typical urban neighborhood compare with rural America? When we talk about the digital divide, there's actually a couple of divides that we should be talking about. The first is a divide about infrastructure access, as in, can you actually subscribe to a broadband service? And here, that's where we see the rural-urban digital divide become particularly prevalent. So, you know, in urban America, you're more likely to have access to a broadband subscription. In rural America, there are a number of counties and communities and areas that simply don't have an internet service provider. There's no wires or no cell phone service. So they are on the wrong side of the digital divide. Let's say there is a busy boulevard that runs through a mostly rural area. Typically, I would think the thoroughfare is going to have decent internet coverage, but when you get maybe a mile outside of that road, you're going to be dropping off. Is that about right? I wouldn't be too sure to say that that thoroughfare has decent internet. And I think that's one of the problems is that we actually don't know in the United States who is connected, who is unconnected, and who is underconnected. And part of the problem there is that a lot of the internet connections used in rural America were provided by your telephone service, right? It's called Digital Subscriber Line or DSL. Those networks have been allowed to degrade for years, meaning that you may not have the type of internet, the speed of internet that you think you do even if you have a subscription. But yes, generally you'll have county seats that are better connected than, for instance, the rural areas around those county seats. Now, I remember uh, reading about back in, I don't know, the 30s or the 20s or something, there was some type of a rural electrification act or something like that the government did to get electricity into rural areas. Would you suggest perhaps the government should do something with the Internet that's similar to that? Absolutely, yes. So in 1935, President Roosevelt signed the Rural Electrification Act. It created the Rural Electrification Administration. It had a $100 million budget, which in 1935 was astronomical. And it was mandated to connect rural America because at that time, electricity was the technology of the future. Roosevelt's administration had decided that every single person, every single household, every single farm needed to be electrified. And how that worked is it's not like, you know, they just gave people money. What they did is try to encourage cooperatives to form, electric cooperatives to form, to connect these rural areas. Then that extended to telephony in 1949. And because in 1949 we said, okay, the new one, we've corrected the electric divide, now we've got to bridge the telephone divide. And so once again, the Rural Electrification Administration, which was then operated under USDA, was in charge of connecting rural America with the telephone. Jump ahead now, some 70, 80 years, we don't have kind of a similar concerted effort at the federal level. Congress hasn't really put its money where its mouth is when it comes to broadband as kind of the next iteration of the must-have technology, right? The technology that we all need to participate in commerce, in education, in democracy, in news and information, in quality of life. I mean, broadband is a utility. It's a necessity. It's not a luxury. But unfortunately, Congress hasn't 
hasn't been allocating a ton of money. There are two funding programs for rural broadband. One is operated by the Federal Communications Commission, and the other is operated by USDA. But they so far haven't been able to stop the digital divide either. We're talking with Christopher Alley, a University of Virginia professor who studies the digital divide. And we're talking about the difference between those who have digital access and those who do not. In this time of the coronavirus, how have the people who do not have digital connections, how have they been able to fare with people being told to work from home and that sort of thing? I mean, that's exactly the thing. They haven't been able to fare. Broadband access is an issue of rights. It's an issue of civil rights. It's an issue of equity and inclusion on top of everything else. The digital divide tends to map well onto other existing structural inequalities, right? If you're lower income, if you're a minority, if you live in rural areas, all of these things, you know, will combine and kind of are made manifest by the digital divide. PBS recently published an article that said that folks are less likely not to social distance if they don't have broadband. Another report also came out that said that those who are more likely to social distance are those who are in wealthier areas and those who have high-speed internet access. So I don't think it's too much of an exaggeration to say that broadband has become a life and death issue in a time of COVID. Yes, and another area which is growing tremendously is telemedicine, where you get you know a doctor's appointment online, and they can deal with health problems you have that way. Of course, if you don't have internet, you can't do that. Right. You know, you can say the same thing for education. We're asking our kids to learn increasingly remotely. You know, if we ever have to go back into a shelter-in-place situation, we're going to be needing everyone to learn remotely, to work remotely, to shop remotely. We're already talking about what it means to vote remotely. I mean, all of this needs to be addressed immediately and efficiently and democratically so that we're not leaving tens of millions of Americans behind in kind of a dial-up age. There are stories of people who relied on their public library to get Internet access, and now with COVID-19, the library's closed, so they have to go to a fast food parking lot in order for their children to do homework. Is that an extreme situation, or is that perhaps more common than we'd like to think in these rural areas? It is way more common in rural areas than you'd like to think. So we're seeing a couple of things. One, we're seeing libraries, a lot of libraries can't let people in, right? But we're seeing them push their Wi-Fi signals out into parking lots. So we see a lot of people parking in parking lots of libraries. And then, yeah, we see a lot of people driving to the parking lot of a McDonald's to do their schooling, to do their paperwork, so have you. It is distressing, but this is the lived reality for, again, tens of millions of Americans, particularly those in rural areas. Professor, if someone's listening and they would like to get better internet where they live, is there anything the individual person can do? Or is this really just up to politicians to make it a priority? If you don't have access to the internet, you can't exactly snap your fingers and then get it. But there are a couple of steps that everyday people can do. One is to talk to your county board of supervisors, to talk to your municipality, right? Because there are options there. There are grants and loans that municipalities and counties can apply for to try and incentivize a private provider to come in and then provide broadband. Sometimes it means some public money funding the network infrastructure and then having an ISP, an internet service provider, come and manage the network. Another option that we're seeing increasingly 
increasingly throughout the country is municipalities themselves funding and operating a broadband network. This is known as municipal broadband. Right now, unfortunately, 19 states either prohibit or inhibit municipalities from doing that. So it makes it really quite difficult. We're also seeing a lot of electric cooperatives enter into providing retail broadband. Electric co-ops are well-suited to be able to do this because their power stations are all connected usually with a fiber optic cable. And so the idea, the next logical move would be for them to enter retail broadband. And of course, telephone cooperatives have also been doing this for decades. So there are options if the kind of big players and the traditional market infrastructure isn't available. It would be great if states made it easier for this to happen, though. So if approximately 40 million or more or less are lacking high-quality digital connections, what sort of a time frame would you like to see for those people to, maybe not every one of them, but for many of those people to get service that will be of good quality? That's a great question. It's also an expensive question. So in 2017, the Federal Communications Commission released a report that said it would cost $80 billion to connect the unconnected in this country. I've seen deployment happen incredibly quickly. I've seen an entire county connected within the span of a year, but there's a big difference between a county and a country. So we're still talking a five or even 10-year plan. What I would love to see, though, again, is Congress allocate more money. The Federal Communications Commission offers about $5 billion a year for rural broadband deployment. USDA offers about $1.4 billion in loans and grants. It's not enough, and unfortunately, the money that has been spent wasn't exactly spent in the best way. So I actually think we need a big federal push to connect the unconnected, because clearly the private market is failing in this regard. Christopher Alley, a University of Virginia professor, and we've been talking about the digital divide. Professor, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You're listening to InfoTrack, a production of Syndication Networks.